We would like to offer our respects to the traditional elders of all generations upon whose lands this podcast has been created, including the Kamaregal people of the Eora Nation. We'd also like to extend that respect and recognition to all First Nations listeners. How well do you think you know someone? Perhaps your initial impressions are all wrong. What if their real stories are more interesting, more amazing, and more surprising than you ever expected? This is Let Me Tell You from SBS Voices. I'm Sarah Malik. And I'm Caitlin Chang. And we are your hosts as we hear the unexpected stories behind ordinary people's lives. All of these stories were originally written for SBS Voices, Australia's home of diverse storytelling, but we thought they were so good they deserve to be spoken out loud. At SBS Voices, we often share the stories of parents making some really huge sacrifices for their kids and talking about how it really takes a village to raise a child. Honestly, where would we be without grandparents? Caitlin, you and I both know what it's like to live in extended families where everyone likes to pitch in with their support and their advice. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So there's often, you know, aunties, uncles, grandparents all pitching in, which can be a really joyful thing, but also challenging. Yes, yes, but mostly joyful. So (laughs) (laughs) I love how you added that. Yes. So in this episode, we hear from Vicky Kiriakakis, whose parents made the absolutely gut-wrenching decision to send her to live with her grandparents at the tender age of two. But her grandparents didn't just live around the corner or in the next suburb. They lived on the other side of the world. It's a story that's so familiar to so many of us third culture kids. This feeling of being torn between two worlds, the country you grew up in and your parents' homeland, and not really belonging to either. So this whole experience has really stayed with Vicky throughout her adult life, and she talks about it in this piece really beautifully. Yes. So here is Vicky Kiriakakis reading, My Parents Sent Me to Greece When I Was Two. So you're saying, I don't sign this, you can't take her. My mum is sitting at the dining table in the small flat they rent in Adelaide with my dad and her mother-in-law. She's got a document in front of her that they want her to sign and they've been pressing her about it for hours. It's one that will allow my yaya to take me back with her to Greece so that my parents can work to save money for a house. The year is 1975. I am two years old. And 45 years later, my mum still talks about that moment when her pen hovered over the dotted line. She still talks about sending her two-year-old daughter halfway across the world. I mean, even if it was with my yaya still, the pain of separation is something she feels to this day. She tells me how she flew to Melbourne from Adelaide just to see me for five minutes before I flew away. And that within the year, she and my dad would spend all the money they'd saved on plane tickets to Greece to pick me up. They just miss me too much. On my part, I don't remember anything about my time in Greece that first time round. I mean, most of my life, I just thought about it as something cool that happened to me when I was little. In later years, though, I think I have grappled with its legacy, with this 
lingering sense that I'm out of place and this feeling that no matter where I am, home is always somewhere else. Growing up as a Greek kid in the northern suburbs of Adelaide in the late 70s and 80s was like being a fish out of water. I was shy. School made me shyer. New situations made me nervous. I found friendships really hard to form. And the fact that I was so obviously different didn't help. I walked around with this constant feeling like the ground was going to shift beneath my feet. And as the only Greek-Australian kid in my year, and one of the few at my school, I copped all the names. I was like this little olive-skinned outsider in a sea of Anglo-Saxon. There was nowhere to hide. So my sense of how Australian I was went through stages. In the late 70s, we were wogs. We definitely didn't belong. By the 1980s, that was starting to shift. But that was because we were happy to own ourselves as wogs and own our difference. And I recall this one time at high school, friends asking me, why didn't I just call myself an Australian? Why did I call myself a Greek Australian? Wasn't I just an Aussie like them? And I told them the country needed to make up its mind about whether we belonged or not. Until then, I guess I was going to be a bit of both. Our whitewashing was going to take some time to set in. But by the 2000s, Everyone, including we Greeks, would forget that once upon a time we weren't really welcome here either. By 2001, I was back to feeling out of my skin. I went on a holiday to Greece and it convinced me that maybe in the end I belonged there rather than here. So I went back. And this time I thought for sure it was going to be for good. My dad was holidaying there at the time and was at Athens airport to pick me up. And his first words were, welcome home, which I appreciated, but I could see it didn't make him happy. I still remember our first drive up through the mountains of the Peloponnese on that trip. It was late spring and the hills were green and bright and I was just overcome with this feeling of being home. There were this gaggle of grandmothers waiting for us at the village when we arrived. And they reminded me that they babysat me as a toddler. You know, did I remember them? Did I remember them? Uh, nope. No, I didn't. But honestly, I felt some real affection for them. I felt surrounded by the spirits of my ancestors and I was absolutely certain that I had made the right choice. I lasted a year and a half. Ultimately, I think what drew me home to Australia was a longing for the people who loved and knew me. I mean, mountains are great, but they can't embrace you when you're lonely. And despite the fact that I felt myself to be Greek, I wasn't the same as those around me. I hadn't grown up and evolved with the land the way they had. I was still out of place. Home, it turned out, 
wasn't just where I lay my head, but also the people I lay it next to. I longed for home. And it was 10 years before I had the heart to return to Greece. So all these years later, the Greek mountains still call to me more than any other place on earth. I mean, I love the Australian landscape, but it's history, it's mythology, it doesn't include me. I'm not central to this nation's sense of itself, not even now. And part of me is convinced this won't change until we address the wound at the heart of this country, which is the dispossession and the violence committed on First Nations people. Part of me wonders if any of us new arrivals will actually belong to the soil until we have treaty with those to whom it belongs. What's Australia then to me? It's the place of my birth. It's the home of my family and my friends. It's the place I realise I now belong to, even if it doesn't fully belong to me. And what is Greece? Well, that's the home of my ancestors. That's the mountains of my blood and bone. That's the home that belongs to me, even if I don't fully belong to it. What is home? Home is wherever I am. And now we're going to speak to Vicky Kiriakakis, who wrote that wonderful piece, My Parents Sent Me to Greece When I Was Two. Hi, Vicky. Thanks so much for chatting with us today. Hi, really lovely to be here. Thank you. Thanks, Caitlin. Thank you. So, I mean, that story, it sounds like one of those family stories that almost kind of becomes folklore. How often were you told about being sent to Greece when you were growing up? All the time, all the time. I feel like from my earliest memories, I remember having this story of how, you know, I sat on my parents' lap and sang this song. I still sort of remember, that's actually my only memory of Greece, in fact, is this song that my grandfather taught me. And then like how they, I'd gone to Greece, I'd stayed six months with one pair of grandparents and then was whisked away and spent six months with another pair of grandparents. And so it just became, yeah, part of my my personal mythology, I think, as I was growing up. Wow. I really related to your story, Vicky, as a third culture kid, kind of living between two worlds and not really belonging to either. And ironically, I felt a sense of belonging listening to you read your piece and the sacrifices that immigrants make when they come to this country. What was it like for your mom to leave you at the airport? That picture is so heart-wrenching when you read it. Um, I can only imagine what it was like for her. Yeah, so I actually talked about this with her not too long ago because I, I had known that she'd come to Melbourne to see me, but actually as I was preparing you know, to talk to you guys about it, I actually asked her, I said, what was it like? Like, And she, she was, she was sobbing. Um, she was crying the whole time. She'd gotten on the plane by herself basically to follow me to Melbourne and then spent five to 10 minutes with me on her lap, just cuddling me to say goodbye. Oh, as a mum myself, honestly, that just, it breaks my heart. And then had to watch me walk away with my yaya and hop back onto a plane to Adelaide by herself to face the rest of the year without me. 
Uh, I mean, she was emotional talking to me about it. And that was just the other week. You, you know, she to this day feels that kind of really keenly. She remembers that I had these two piggy tails and I had this little round face. And I think anyone who's a parent will understand that feeling of the smell and the feel of your own child being this visceral thing. And sometimes it's the only thing that can calm you down is when you give them a cuddle and you can smell them and you go, right, they're safe, they're okay, they're here. So I cannot even imagine what that must have I mean, I can actually, and it breaks my heart, I think, but that feeling of having, being able to hold me for five minutes and then say goodbye, like, yeah, heartbreaking, <laughs> but, but it's not, it's not an unusual migrant story either. Um, and that's, I think the thing that was a bit surprising to me when I, when people were like, oh, yep, I've known others who did that. Apparently Greeks who emigrated to Germany would quite frequently do that. They'd send their kids to to live with their grandparents while they um, worked to make money and to provide some security for their family. So it's not unusual, but it is heartbreaking. Yeah. Gosh, that made me feel really emotional when you were describing that. Um, it is obviously something that's quite a painful memory for your mum and dad. And as you said, quite heartbreaking for them to, you know, to have to do that and you know, that was not that unusual. Like, how do you feel about it? And when you hear about it now, you know, having this kind of perspective as an adult and also a parent and just kind of realizing how hard it would have been. Yeah. Uh, honestly, a bit conflicted. There, there's still part of me that feels it like a cool thing that happened when I was little, you know, like, oh yeah, I lived a year and, you know, in Greece when I was small. It means my first language was actually Greek. And I think it also is why when I go back to my dad's village and to Crete, where my mum is from, I feel such a visceral sense of recognition and homecoming. Like I go, okay, yep. I, and energetically, the space feels like home. I can't quite explain it. That sounds a bit woo-woo, but it, you know, you step into, I step into the space and I'm like, yep, great home. And, you know, my, my mum tells me I used to just have, I had a lot of freedom and I was a free range kid when I was in Greece. So, you know, she tells me this story of when they did come to Greece to pick me up the very first day, I just disappeared. I was three years old and they couldn't find me. And my grandfather said, oh, don't worry. She's with Kiriako. They're roaming the village. She's fine. Like <laughs> she's, you know, everyone knows her. She's just wandering. And I mean, Molay is not a big town, but it is not a small village. So apparently I was just out off on my own doing my thing. Um, and I think that deep connection to the place is something I still really appreciate. Having said that though, I also feel conflicted because it's, it has left me with things that I grapple with still. Like I, I do still have this sense of not being sure if I'm welcome, you know, like I'll be in a group of people, even people that I know reasonably well. And there's always this sense of uncertainty. Am I about to be exited from this circle and I'm about to be told I, I'm not welcome here anymore. And I suspect that sort of thing is also a legacy of that time when I was sent. And apparently I had gone with my Yayava Siliki, who was my dad's mum, but I was dropped first at my mum's parents who I'd never met before. Mm. So if you can imagine a two-year-old having just been removed from her mum and dad, with this lady that I had known for a couple of months, 
and then dropped at people that I didn't know at all and left there for six months. Like you can understand a bit, I think, of why I still struggle yeah. in some situations to feel like I'm safe. Mm. I have a two-year-old and I can exactly imagine what his response would be. <laughs> if he would be like, here you go, <laughs> go to these strange people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, kids yeah. are resilient, but, we, but that yeah. period of life is an important time of finding your security in places and in, pe- in the people around you and knowing that you're safe. Do you have any um, siblings, Vicky? I do, a little sister, yeah. When right. I say little, and- she's 44 now, but yeah. Okay. And she, was she sent to Greece? No, 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 no. The first <laughs> thing my mum said to my dad was, absolutely not. You are not sending this one to Greece. We're not doing this what, this thing again. Um, so I love no. how the first child is like the practice run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, we'll, we'll send that one back to the motherland. And, no, but it sounds like, you know, your adult self has this real compassion for the circumstances for your mother. But then there's the childlike part of yourself, which also struggles so much with finding who you are and finding your place in Australian society. And, and that's something that runs through the piece. And do you mm. feel like that, that ever really ends um, for you? Do you feel like you've found a place within yourself or do you still struggle with that sense of belonging? Yeah, I think I still struggle. I think for those of us who are these in-between kids, like first-generation migrants in a new country, I just think it's it becomes part of our experience of nationality and of place and home and belonging. Like in Greek, we have this word, we call it xenithia, which is estrangement basically from place. And I think that experience of xenithia is something that just becomes part of your experience of identity. And I don't think that ends, uh, to be honest, but I don't necessarily see it so much anymore as a burden so much as an experience, like a, a an opportunity to have complexity in my life. Like I think in embracing the complexity, you find your way through it as well. You know, like in fighting against it, that's where the grief comes in. But if I just embrace the fact that, yep, I've got two places that I feel connected to, one largely because of the people, the other largely landscape, then I can embrace that as an enriching thing rather than as something that has taken something away from me. I love that. And, you know, when you went back to Greece in 2001, Like a lot of diaspora kids, there is so much romanticized (laughs) expectation when you go back to the motherland, I'm going to have an amazing time, I'm going to be embraced, I'm going to find myself. That's a lot of pressure. Uh, What was it like for you going back to Greece and what were you hoping for? Yes, yes. When I was on holiday, I had gone to um, visit this place called Monemvasia. I I recommend it. If you're ever in Greece, it's not a known destination and it's just this unbelievably exquisite place and it was it was exactly what you said it was this romantic sense of oh my god and so I honestly had Monemvasia very heavily in mind when I decided to move back to Greece and um, explore a life there and I guess part of me went that's the energy that I'll have in my life and I'll be able to get out of this rut that I'm in because I was living in Melbourne and I had a job and it was fine and I had an apartment and that was fine but it was the nine to five kind of routine and it, I just needed something to break me out of that. So really pretty much the, as soon as I got back from my holiday, I went to my boss and said, I'm quitting. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go to Greece to live. (laughs) I got a job in marketing and I basically set up my exact life again, the same life I had in Melbourne, but I set it up in Athens. 
nowhere near the stones of Mon and yeah, and you realize everyone there has the same problems that you do, the same nine to five struggle. The exactly, same. and and yeah, I, I, the diff- the only difference was I didn't have my support mechanisms around me. I didn't have, you know, in hindsight, if I was to tell my younger self anything, it would be, don't be an idiot. Go and sit on an island, get a job at a backpacker's host- hostel. You do not need to continue your professional career in this moment in time. Spend a year just enjoying yourself makes do something to make some bucks but like travel the country that's probably what I should have done and how often have you been able to go back you said you kind of couldn't face going back for about 10 years but Mm. since then and obviously pre-covid did you get a chance to go back to Greece very often yeah I went back in 2014 with my husband and that was really healing like for the one thing I decided because I was taking Chris to experience Greece for the first time. He'd never been before. I wanted to decouple myself from the obligation to hang out with family. So we told people we were coming, but we didn't stay with family. We didn't hold ourselves up. You know, I don't, any, if you, anyone who's got family overseas understands that when you go there, it's kind of an obligation to basically sit in their lounge rooms for like the next 10 weeks. So I on purpose decided that I wasn't going to do that. And instead we sort of sorted out an itinerary where I could show him all the places I was from and we could also explore some bits that I hadn't seen either. And Vicky, what was it like to take your partner, Chris, with you to Greece and did it help him understand who you were? Yeah, I think so. It was, it was wonderful. Honestly, it was really, really great. I think it really did give him a sense of who I was and what the passions that drive me. I think one of my favorite lines from your piece is, you know, I was an olive skinned outsider in a sea of Anglos. It's such a vivid line. And was that part of the joy of being in Greece that you are now an olive skinned insider in a sea of olive skinned people? Yes, (laughs) yes, um, absolutely. That is one of those things that really, I mean, we're talking a very specific part of Adelaide as well. So that's the northern suburbs of Adelaide. It wasn't a lot of multicultural diversity back in the 70s. We really were one of the only Greek families on the entire street. So I was really noticeable. And there's also the kind of other stuff that comes with being an outsider. Like, you know, people don't know how to pronounce your name. People ask you, you know, where you're from, all of that kind of stuff. And it was just this, the experience of being like, oh, you look like me. And, oh, you look like me. And you look like me. Hey, we all look the same. <laughs> it was such a different experience for me. When we were in Khanya with my husband in 2014, we were staying at this little Airbnb and we were going in to check in and they asked us for our names. And I was like, okay, so my name's Vasiliki Kiriakaki. And they were like, okay, Kiriakaki. I know how to write that. And they're like, and you, sir? And he was like, oh, Chris Broadstock. And they just stopped and they looked at him and they went, sorry, how do you spell that? <laughs> there was a visceral thrill. I was just like, ha, 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 this, ha, ha, the tables are turned. Now you know, now you know. <laughs> Can you say it again? Chris. <laughs> Broad. How do you, and in Greek, we don't have the B sound, right? There's no letter for B. You yeah. put it together with an M and a P. So yeah, they were like, Broad stock. <laughs> <laughs> I love okay. it. It sounds like you're in a place now where you've really kind of reconciled being between two countries and two cultures. Yeah, I think I've reconciled missing somewhere. When I think of Greece, I have a longing for it. 
And I know when I go to Greece, I'd have the opposite longing for Australia. I remember coming home to Australia and being just, and the things that struck me that I'd missed, you know, things like magpie sounds and kookaburras and carawongs and like the sound of the Australian accent when I heard that again after a year and a half, I was like, that's home. So I think what I've reconciled is that I'll always have this sort of longing and pull towards another place other than the one I'm in and that that just has to be okay. Yeah, I think that would resonate with a lot of our listeners. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Vicky. It was really lovely to chat to you and hear a bit more about the story behind that story. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. It's been great chatting. I, I, I hope it resonates for people because yeah, it makes me feel a little bit less crazy. <laughs> I found that story so moving. Can you imagine how difficult it would have been for Vicky's parents to send her to Greece? So difficult and so heartbreaking. And obviously it was just too difficult considering they missed her so much. They actually spent all the money that they saved in flying back to Greece to get her back. Yeah, absolutely. Money well spent, I think. So make sure you listen to the next episode where we hear from Nadine Chimali about kissing a girl for the first time on her 18th birthday and what a kiss it was, a kiss that opened up a whole new world. So when a girl kissed me on my 18th birthday, a whole other world opened up to me, a world where I could explore who I was outside of the expectations of the world around me. But it was really confusing. Let Me Tell You is produced by Sarah Malik and Caitlin Chang, with audio by Jeremy Wilmot and Max Gosford. Our executive producers are Natalie Hambly and Danielle Teutsch. If you'd like to read more of our stories, head to the SBS Voices website at sbs.com.au forward slash voices.